Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Greg Rempe, host of the Barbecue Central Show, and you're listening to the Baseball and BBQ Podcast with your host, Jeff the Old Coop Cohen and Leonard Hollywood Aberman. of baseball and bbq on long island new york this is episode number 206 of baseball and bbq i'm jeff the oku cohen along with leonard hollywood aberman we welcome you back to our show leonard hello everybody jeff it's so great to be here we've got two great guests and I'm going to start off by telling you who they are Please. in honor, in honor of the postseason that is that has. Well, when you're listening to this, this will have dropped. We've already will have had some playoff games. Right. But in well, honor, the wild card series, wild card series would have been completed. All right. Whatever. In honor <laughs> of the postseason, we we did an interview and we held it a little bit. So a couple of the things in there might be a little outdated, but it doesn't matter because it's with Brian Kenny of MLB Now. Jeff, what do you got to say about that? Oh, Brian Kenny was a fantastic interview. He's like the like the face of the MLB network. And he has some great stories. And he was just a great interview. We met him last year at the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame dinner. And he was gracious enough to come on our show. Yeah. And then we have Levi Strayer, who is from Bear Mountain Barbecue. We get into all their products. Levi is a great representative of barbecue. But first, before we get to anything, let me just tell everyone that football is back. And Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering information with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus 
on your first deposit. Bet online. It is where the game starts. Jeff, as I said, in honor of the Major League Baseball playoffs, we have Brian Kenny, who I think loves baseball as much as we do. <laughs> I think he does. And with that, here is the great Brian Kenny. Baseball and BBQ is honored to have with us the host of the show MLB Now and a Masters of Ceremonies for the Baseball Hall of Fame induction. We met him when he was inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. A graduate of the New York Institute of Technology in 1985, he also attended St. John's University from 81 to 82, and since I attended SJU at the time, we might have been in the same classes. He's also the author of Ahead of the Curve, Inside the Baseball Revolution. He has won a National Sports Emmy for ESPN's Baseball Tonight, and you can see him regularly on MLB Network. He is none other than Brian Kenny. Welcome, Brian. Hey, good to see you guys again. How are you? Okay, how are you? Good, good, excellent. Why don't we begin by telling us your baseball origin story, a team that you followed that, that you were interested in and got you in baseball. I grew up on Long Island, so I probably went to more Met games. My father and my grandfather would take me to Shea Stadium a lot, but I became a Yankee fan, so I enjoyed going to the Bronx. Everybody I grew up with followed baseball. We played baseball. We watched baseball. We followed the box scores. We talked about baseball. So I, I was just a, a baseball fan from the, from the get-go as a little kid. How does that happen, Brian? You, you go to games at Shea, but you became a Yankee fan. It was, I was, I would always buy the yearbooks, you know, back in the day before memorabilia. Oh, yeah. The thing that you had to read about baseball, you had Street and Smiths, right? You had uh, some of the Dell annuals and you had the yearbooks. So when you went to the games, you could get a yearbook. Otherwise, you didn't get a yearbook. Maybe you could mail away from it for it, but... I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. So I got the yearbooks, and I'm looking at the Met yearbook, and look, that they had Tom Seaver, they had Jerry Kuzman. They're a great club, but there was something about the lore of Yankee history. Looking at the Yankee yearbook and looking back at the old photos and Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and DiMaggio, Mantle, Rizzuto, I just, I, it had a, a sense of importance. It seemed like it really meant something. It meant something to the country as well. And my my father was uh, off the boat, straight off the boat from Ireland. And his way uh, of assimilating into this country was to watch baseball and know baseball. My grandfather, too, also emigrated from Ireland in the Irish Rebellion years. And he, too, loved baseball. And I think it was part of being an American, being proud of being an American, was being a baseball fan. They passed that on to me. Well, great. You know, my, my grandmother came over from France and during the 40s, and she uh, was listening to the radio, learning English, listening to the New York Giants play. So uh, she was a big Giant fan, and then when they moved, they, she became a Mets fan. But uh, yeah, great memories. You're on an MLB Now show, that, the, the show for the thinking man. It's all about really a lot of analytics. Well, yeah, that's how it originated. By the way, it's the show for the thinking fan. We're not sex fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be man, woman, Thank you. Yeah, non-binary, anything. So, yeah, it, it actually it started with it was Clubhouse Confidential was the original show. And it was a half hour show. I wrote essays. And when I first was when I left ESPN and went to MLB Network, the guys who were running it there at the time. And it was John Entz and Tony Petiti was the, the head of the network, the president of the network. John Entz was the, the president of programming. 
I had all these ideas to do on shows. And I said, we should do this. We should look at the game through, you know, this angle and that angle. And we need to do more things on sabermetrics and how it's taken over the game. And they actually said, why don't you do your own show? And I wasn't even angling for my own show. I didn't think it was possible, but they gave me my own show. And it was Clubhouse Confidential. And then it uh, morphed into MLB Now, which at the very beginning was me debating with Harold Reynolds, who was old school. I was new school. We only did that for one year. We both got tired of yelling at each other. And since then, it's been MLB Now where, yeah, I would say it's – I think the show evolves naturally. I think I like to evolve naturally. And for a long time, talking about sabermetrics or analytics was like a foreign language to most people who followed the game. I think now that most people – certainly the industry is speaking that language – now I'm kind of morphing into other things and evolving into different areas, like the areas that we're not quantifying very well. Um, and I still just love the, you know, the, the game itself and execution and fundamentals and the, the kind of d- difficult things to uh, put your finger on with a team. Like why, why teams win or lose, why uh, teams can fluctuate so greatly between seasons like the Mets, yeah. uh, you know, like how does that happen? There's the, there is a human dynamic and, I think in the old days, we called it clubhouse chemistry. The sports writers mm-hmm. called it that. And I, and I used to rail about that. I was like, come on, everything is not your chemistry. But I think we just lack the language for what it actually is. There is some sort of chemistry or alchemy or group dynamic that really does fuel performance. And we're still just figuring that out. So again, it's not, I don't want to do math class. I just want to properly measure production on a baseball field when everybody is doing that in kind of the same fashion now it's time to move into other areas and try to you know not have a new different you know a different but new group think do you know what i'm saying there was an old group think i think in the game now actually now that it is a lot of you know ivy league front office types that are in the game i think there's a new group think you know you, you still have to be able to challenge orthodox thinking and that's what we do on the show every day you know, you mentioned about uh, intangibles, and we had on Joan Ryan a couple of years ago, and she wrote a great book on intangibles, on the chemistry of a team. It was really interesting in how the 89 Giants came together because of, you know, just team chemistry. It was just fascinating. Yeah, I read it. I know. I remember I, I had Joan on the show. I know Joan well, and we had her on the show talking about it. And yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating. You know, there's a lot of it's it's also kind of a new area that you can study I think in an intellectual fashion in trying to figure out why some teams click and others don't. And that has a lot to do with players knowing roles. I think Joan got into that quite a bit. Players knowing roles, having a a certain comfortable hierarchy that you need. You need to be edgy, but not too edgy. You need people who are calm, but not too calm. <laughs> you, again, you know it when you see it, right? It's it's one of the things we talk about on the show. I call it cut of jib index. What is the right. cut of his jib? And uh-huh. I will talk about guys who have a high cut of jib, and usually it's competitive fire. And usually it's guys like, uh, I'll, I'll use guys from our youth, Frank Robinson, George Brett, Thurman Munson, Pete Rose, guys who got after you. And those are the guys that I think you need. I, I, I did my own M- all MLB Now team, and I do it every year. And uh, this year especially, I said, I don't want guys who need a kick in the pants. I want the guys who kick other people in the pants. Right. That's what I want. And we know there are those guys. And I, I know we're l- always looking for that. Like, what is that? Who are those players? And what makes it, what makes them special? And then what makes teams win? So, Brian, 
one of the beauties of doing this with Jeff is sometimes I deviate. Jeff brings it back. I'm going to deviate only because when you mentioned the chemistry, and I knew that Jeff was going to mention intangibles, but Joan Ryan's husband, Barry Tompkins, who was in, uh, I think, Rocky Four, a ring announcer, and you share something in common with him. You were in uh, Rocky Balboa as right. a, as a ring announcer. What people may not know is that Brian Kenny is also a boxing fan and announcer, and I want to talk about that too. Let's just talk for a moment about you've had appearances in Rocky Balboa TV show. It was a Hank Azariah show, Azariah. What? Brockmeyer. Yeah. Brockmeyer. Yeah, Brockmeyer. How do you uh, enjoy being uh, an, an actor? Well, uh, that stuff is fun. It's it is it's more work than you think. And I'm just being I'm in cameos. By the way, I know Barry quite well. I worked with Barry at Showtime and DAZN when we were calling fights. Barry was the HBO announcer when I was in camp with Mike Tyson in the 1980s. I was at the Catskill Boxing Club as uh, just a young guy kicking around in the camp, training, fighting. And that was my boxing background, my entree into, into boxing. And Barry was the man. Barry's a great play-by-play guy. I've had many a dinner with him, hanging out. And he's uh, he's pure class. And he's a all-time great uh, boxing announcer. So, uh, yeah, I love Barry. And uh, I called fights for, let me say, I started broadcasting in the late 80s, mid-80s. I was calling some fights early on, MSG Network and things like that early on. Then got to ESPN, hosted Friday Night Fights for 12 years, whatever it was. I was there 14 years. Then I went to Showtime, did Showtime Championship Boxing. I've done Fox. I'm still with Fox. I've done DAZN uh, in between. So, no, I've always, uh, baseball's my favorite sport, but boxing is my next love and I do have a real passion for it still to this day. And hopefully we get back into it with Fox soon and we start getting back into big time fights. Do you think that boxing will ever regain the and I'm not even going back to Tyson. You know, we could talk about Ali and Spinks and 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 those are just heavyweights. And, you know, of course, the middleweight fighters, you know, Hagler and Leonard and all that. Do you think that boxing will ever regain that luster? Because now you have, of course, you know, UFC and will boxing ever get back to what it was? It can, but it probably won't. The business itself, this is something we talked about a lot in the old days um, on Friday Night Fights with Teddy Atlas and Max Kellerman uh, and Joe Tessitore, where there was, you always say, hey, they should do something like Major League Baseball. They should do something about pace of play. Well, they did because there's a league as a commissioner. Uh, there's a league office. They did something about it. There's no they in boxing. Everybody's in it for themselves. Promoters, fighters, uh, there's no league. There are commissions, but they're just overseeing the fights for safety reasons. So, you know, economic factors for whatever reason now and for the last few years are such that the top fighters don't fight each other. Economically, it seems to be better to protect your fighter, protect his record, not have the top champions face each other. If the top fighters, if the top five in each division started fighting each other on a regular basis on a round robin, I think boxing would explode. But it hasn't done that in over a decade. I don't expect it to do that. So um, I don't want to give up hope, it, but it could be great. But if we saw if we had great fights on a nonstop basis, like, and I don't want to keep going back to back in the old days, but back in the old days, there were championship fights, you know, in the 80s that right. you remember, that I remember on network television 
every weekend. Lightweight championship of the world, welterweight championship of the world, middleweight championship of the world. That was even before it got to HBO and then Showtime. And the whole country could see it. And boxing is a great sport. And I think people would still like boxing as much or more than UFC. But UFC controls their whole sport. They want their top guys to fight. They fight. Boxing, promoters, fighters, managers want to keep the top guys away from each other to protect their own economic interests. They don't fight. So this is where we are. Brian, I'm going to bring it back to baseball. And uh, look, I'm an old school guy. I'm, and I, I know the, the traditional statistics, and I, I understand the, at the new analytics now. Uh, but I want to ask you about pitching today because organizations are focusing on keeping their pitchers healthy. They go 100 pitchers or, or six innings as they're out of the game. But I, I, maybe it's me, but I still see a lot, lot more injuries today than ever before. What's the number one reason for doing that? Is that because the pitchers are throwing as hard as they can for as long as they can? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's Pitching is drastically different than it was in the old days and a generation ago. So there's a lot to unpack there. But basically now it is, it's a, it's pitchers are throwing at max effort. And look, I advocate a full bullpen attack using everybody you have. I think the idea of having a starting pitcher and having a leading man out there is really just part, part and parcel of a 19th century baseball. But it's just the way we've evolved. That said, you could restrict, and I wrote this in my book, Eventually, baseball, they, they will do something about this. They will restrict the amount, the, the amount of pitchers you can have on your roster. At that point, you'll have guys starting longer. And if you have guys that, and you know, hey, we only have, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number 10 or 11 pitchers on your roster. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe you need 12. Um, but if you only have so many, you to survive, you're going to have to not go max effort every pitch which is how guys pitched in the 70s and mm-hmm. certainly way back before then. So uh, you can do that if you didn't have so many. But if you can stack 13, 14 pitchers on your roster and bury a few and stash them in AAA, of course, you, and it's harder to be a pitcher than a thrower. So you have all these flame-throwing guys throwing 100. You can bring them up, use them up, and toss them aside. Developing a pitcher is hard work. It's an investment. It's a crapshoot. So you know that's where we are today. But things could be done to incentivize, including like the double hook rule. I don't know if you've heard of that. To incentivize keeping a pitcher in there longer. Because I have to admit, too, even though I like a bullpen attack, it's good for the game to have a starter and have, hey, who's pitching tonight? And no, this guy might go is likely to go six or seven innings. But the way it stands now, the way it's up to teams to win. It's not up to it's not up to the Orioles or the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees to safeguard baseball and make it entertaining. That's up for the league. It's up to teams to win. And if you win by having 13 pitchers throwing all out for short innings, you're going to do that. Yeah. Brian, you, you've interviewed tons of people and I'm thinking about it today and I'm thinking Brian Kenny's been asked so many questions. I want to come up with something you haven't been asked. I don't even oh. know if this is possible, but I was thinking about, interviews that you haven't done and of course you didn't have time to prepare for this but if you were sitting down with let's say satchel page who may be one of the greatest pitchers ever what would you ask him probably the leading thing would be how did he feel about not being able to play in the major leagues for most of his career you know i think that's be a place to start you know when did he debut in the the white major leagues was he 
40 something. It was late forties that mm-hmm. uh, yep. he pitched into his fifties, I think. So, and then I'd love to just hear stories about who he faced barnstorming. You know, those guys did play the, the major leaguers, the white major leaguers all the time in the off season. And there's all these stories of, you know, Bob Feller facing the, the top hitters, you know, how, who did Satchel page face and, you know, what did he think of them? You know, did he face DiMaggio? I don't know. You know, who did he face and what was it like? And, uh, you know, probably just ask him stories about growing up and what made him the guy that he, that he became and let him talk, you know, ask questions, let him talk. He had fascinating things to say. Oh, it's a great yeah, storyteller too. <laughs> that would have been an incredible yeah. interview. Brian, you know, expansion is being talked about now. Are we looking at the demise of the American and National League with, with expansion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, does it even, you know, imagine again, I think we're from the same era. So there's no more American and National League fans, really. Um, and it happened. Well, maybe it took 20 years to happen, but there used to be a real um, a real reticence to break that up. That's eroded with interleague and now a more balanced schedule. It makes sense. I, I would say, too, uh, and I usually put it in these terms, if we were inventing baseball now and we had two teams in New York and two in Chicago and two in L.A., would we have them not play each other? Like, of course, we'd have them play each other all the time, you know, as mm-hmm. often as possible, really. So that makes sense. So I think once we get the two new more teams, it'll be time to evolve to the next step. And I think fans are ready for it. 20 years ago, they weren't. Uh, at this point, you might as well. Might as well, yeah. Probably better if, uh, for traveling also, obviously. If they put another team near near Seattle, maybe in Portland or, or Vancouver, I don't know where they're thinking, but I think one team over there would help the travel with, with Seattle because they have a long way to go every, every road trip. Well, there's a lot of interesting things you can do, and I, I've seen it too, where you kind of create this Northeast League, which would kind of be a super league, and but then the it would be offset by, yes, they have a greater population base, which means they likely have uh, more revenue. And, but you put them at the slight disadvantage of, they have to play each other a little more often. So I don't know if that's exactly what you want, but you could, because I think we're seeing now too, the teams in these central divisions, it's just not, it's not cutting it. Now, I don't want to overreact to that because again, that's a, that's a short term thing that's happening now. I don't want to just react to the now because things change before you know it. You know, things evolve to the next step and maybe in five years, maybe in two years, we it's a super powerful Reds and Pirates team and we're not complaining about it anymore. But right now it just looks like kind of like in the economics of the country itself, we've got these super powers on the coasts and the teams in the middle are just finding it very difficult to compete economically. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mets are a very high, high, high priced team. So the, the uh, San Diego Padres, they can't get out of each other's way for whatever reason. So, Brian, yeah, what, what I'm wondering is, look, you, you have a team right now. Cincinnati is exciting as anything. You got Ellie De La Cruz. Amazing what he's doing on the base paths. But the problem is these guys, they'll, they'll play. They'll play until they're um, you know, free agents. And then they'll become properties of the Mets, the Yankees, you know, the Dodgers, the Padres. I can't believe I'm saying the Padres, but the Padres – is there anything that can be done in baseball to keep these guys with the team, not to keep them there, you know, as it used to be, but to make them want to stay uh, with, you know, money? I think the economics have changed in that way, too. And look, we've seen the Rays have signed Wander Franco long term. 
the Mariners signed Julio Rodriguez long-term. You have to make a big commitment. You have to get in early. You have to do it right away. You can't wait a couple of years and say, oh, let's join the bidding process. No, you have to take a chance. And look, it was only a few years ago. Remember, these guys who were in their rookie years, remember like Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew McCutcheon. Remember when they signed their extensions? Right. They were a few years into it. I think they had reached arbitration and they signed extensions and they got $50 million contracts. Ronald Acuna got over $100 million. So the mindset at the time was, oh, you can never keep these guys. Oh, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, you can, you can never keep them. Oh, yeah? Push $100 million in front of a kid. You can keep them. You're making them rich. You have to invest bigger. And certainly Acuna, the Acuna contract looks great. The Mike Trout contract, it's possible to keep the best player in baseball. So I'm not buying that. And look, the, the challenge will be for the Reds to extend Ellie De La Cruz very soon. Like, I mean, you better be talking to him now. The Orioles have got to be talking to Adley Rutschman now. Like, you can't wait two years. By then, they're getting a whiff of arbitration. They'll be rich enough then. They'll say, hey, you know what? I'll bet on myself. I'll go to free agency. You've got to get in on a guy like from basically from the time he hits the major leagues. You know, is this a superstar? Are we going to try to keep him? And we've seen it's possible to do that. Yeah. Well, so, Juan Soto was uh, given a lot of uh, a- Giving a, a contract of a lot of money from the Nationals, and he said, "Oh, you know, maybe I'll I'll bet on myself." That was a and, few years in, though. Like when yeah, when was that offer true. made? That, that was a few years in. I'm yeah. saying Wander Franco was one year in, right? And right. look, and it, and it cannot work out, love. But you know, a lot of those contracts aren't. You know, remember uh, it was John Singleton had a ten million dollar contract for the Astros. Oh no, it didn't work out. You're out ten million bucks. In the grand scheme of things, it's not. It does not cripple your organization. Matt Moore was another guy with the Rays. Remember the pitcher, left-handed pitcher? They signed him as a, I think, as a rookie, or a, he had just gotten in. Number one prospect in the sport, essentially. Um, he didn't quite have the career they thought, but it's still worth the shot to throw the money out there. Yeah. Um, rarely is it a hundred million, and it's only a hundred million for Franco and Acuna. The guy was clearly the number one young player in the sport. Ellie De La Cruz fits that description, doesn't he? Like yeah. he's not only a stack cast monster with the t- amazing tools, he's polished. You can see immediately he, he knows how to play the game. So uh, you better you better get 80 to 100 million in front of that kid right now while he's skinny, <laughs> while he's hungry, and say, hey, do you want to be rich? And look, if you don't, and, and, and you think, oh, well, but no, he's, you know, will he sign that? Hey, you know, you can blow out your knee. You can do lots of things. That is guaranteed money. So you are actually, and it's not fake rich, it's actual rich. You know, that is, that, that's not, you know, a lot of guys, people, people have the, I think, tendency to think of everybody who plays professional sports is rich. It's not true. You might be fluid, you might have cash on hand immediately, but you're talking about the contracts we're talking about. We're talking 50 to $100 million. No, no, no. You're actually rich. Yeah. You can get these guys rich now and you can sign them. So we're asking the, so what the small market teams are going to have to do is they're going to have to gamble that they're going to have to take these guys who, you know, everybody thinks that, that, you know, like we see in Ellie Dale Cruz think he's can't miss. Look at the, look at what he is. We have to say that he's not a flash in the pan. We have to go based on what we see and they've got to gamble. Cause otherwise, if they let these guys go a few years, they will lose them to right. the big market team. So you've got to ask these teams to gamble. The, the only problem will be, is if a couple of these gambles don't pay off and we've seen players that have been 
you know, they start off great and they, they're not what we think they're going to be. You get a couple of these guys with one team, then they don't, you know, they can't do anything, but hopefully right. that's not the case. Well, I, you know, Fernando Tatis is that player now too. Right. I, I thought, I thought it was a fantastic signing. You got a shortstop, 21 years old, slugging 600. Yeah, that's the type of guy that you invest in. Then he fails a drug test, and you have to ask yourself, all right, was that a blip in the radar, or is that something he needs to perform at that level? That's a real economic concern. I'm not being, I'm not getting a morality play in on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> not even judging him. Purely economics, purely for the good of your team, you have to say, wait a second. Did I invest in a guy that needs the stuff? Because if he needs the stuff, he's already got, you know, one strike against him. On the third strike, you're banned from baseball. You can't have it. He can't have another one. And he's also look. That's a three hundred million dollar contract. He's played great this year in right field. He's made a good transition. He's hitting well. He's he's clearly a good major league player. He's not hitting at the level he did before. So I I think the jury is still out. And I'm sure in San Diego, they're hoping and praying that he turns out to be the player they think he is. He kind of looks like it. But again, slugging 520 is not slugging 600. And he's now, you know, three years older. And we still have to see. So so to your point, yeah, you can think, hey, this guy's a can't miss. But as we know, you can miss. Absolutely. I want to ask you about the best player in the sport today, and that's Shelly Otani. Everybody has a theory about when he when he goes free agency, where he's going to sign. A friend of mine insists it's going to be the L.A. Dodgers, one, because one, he spurned the Yankees years ago. Second, he's, he likes Southern California. Other people say he wants to go to a place that has an airport that has direct flights to Japan. I have no idea. I don't know if Shohei Otani knows where he's going to sign right now. But who do you think is, is the front runner? What team do you think is the front runner right now to sign Shohei Otani? I I really have no idea except for obviously there's only a few teams that uh, are over a $250 million payroll. If you're going to pay one guy 50 million, you've got to have a payroll over north of 250. You, you just can't, you know, it's too foolish, you know, for a team with even like, I don't know, I don't have the payroll numbers in front of me, but even if say you're, if you're like the Cardinals or down around that area, which is a good spending team, but not an upper echelon spending team. You you simply can't have a third of your payroll in one guy. You cannot do it. So there's only a few teams like that. He likely is going to want to stay on the West Coast. That was what his preference was when he first came over. Remember, he had his choice of clubs. Sure. So sure. I think I think we're looking at the usual suspects. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep hearing that it's it's possible that Texas gets involved because look, they're willing to spend. The Mets, obviously, with Steve Cohen, willing to spend and desperate to get better and probably will be after this season. But I think it's Dodgers. It's Mariners. I don't think the Angels are out of it. You know, for all this, I keep hearing, oh, he said he wants to win, and that's important to him. What do you want him to say? Like, of yeah. course, he's going to say that. But he's comfortable there. They're good to him. The fans love him. It Look, guys, it's nice out there, right? <laughs> it's not. Uh, oh, yeah. And then they can say, oh, it's, oh, you have to play for a winner. It's like the Angels are a perennial loser. They're a 500 team. It's disappointing. I get it. But in his day-to-day, he's fine. Mike Trout seems to be a happy guy when he's healthy. So I'm not ruling out the Angels either. Can can his contract be structured in a way that if he decides to give up pitching or, or hitting, 
that the salary could be adjusted to reflect that? I guess is that possible? Will you, it could, you could you could you could ask. I don't think you're getting it in there. That's the thing. You, everything could be negotiated, but I think he's going to say no. I don't think I'm going to do that. He's also insisted to do both. I would. I tell, I know this is a this is a, a bad take, and everyone hates it. But this is a guy who is right now. He's the number one hitter in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Number one. If he just pitched. Where would you rank Shohei Otani if he just pitched? He's a he's Number a science, yeah, he's a science contender. Absolutely. He's very likely. Look, our top 10 right now, we do top 10 right now in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Our top 10 starting pitchers, it's never been like this. It's totally topsy turvy. You know, Corbin Burns, Sandy Alcantara, the top guys, they have had disappointing seasons. Yeah. Garrett Cole's been good, maybe uh-huh. not great, but quite good. He's he's back in that mix, but the top guys have struggled. Shohei Otani. If he just pitched, I'm kind of convinced. I'm kind at his best. I think he's the best pitcher in the sport. He's he's proving now he's the best hitter in the sport. Would it be more valuable to have him do one thing? I don't know. I think the question should be asked. Now he doesn't want that, so it's off the table. But it was a question at one point whether you should have him play both ways. And I'm not completely sold that. Oh, you must let him play both ways. I don't know. His ERA is now up at three and a half. His ERA, if he was just pitching, would be around two. He leads. He'd lead the league in strikeouts. I I know maybe in the real world he can't do it, and I'm ruining everything. But I'm saying he would be, be a better hitter or pitcher if he did just one. Staying on Shohei Otani for a second, I did read a story that said that it might actually be that because he does both, his game is better. No. He, that no. I'm, it's what no. I read. I wish I could point it out, but I will. He, yeah, Listen, I I could go week to week. It's rare, and this 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 was the same thing for Babe Ruth. By the way, it was very rare, and he only Babe Ruth only did it two years, pitched and hit, and then he tra- he made the transition to hitting because I said they thought this is crazy. You can't do both, and they were likely right in in 1920 when he was a great pitcher and he was on a run pitching. He wasn't hitting great. When he was tearing it up at the plate, he wasn't pitching great. There's a lot of that in Otani's game, if you notice. If you look closely, there was, I know last year, there was that run in June and July that he was doing both at the highest level. Other than that, most times he's peaking at one and not the other. That That is, you can look it up and go week by week. And right now he's doing, right now he's hitting like a monster. He's pitching okay. He's pitching, look, he's a top 20 pitcher, but he's not a top five pitcher. <laughs> And when he's pitching like a top five pitcher, which he was last year for a couple of weeks, he looked and again. I, I was tempted to make him number one on my list because he's almost the number one pitcher in the sport. But when he's pitching like that, it's rare for him to also be hitting like he is. So I, I'm saying no, it, that does not make him better. It, okay, you know it, it makes sense. It doesn't. It, it detracts. It's amazing he's able to balance both and be as good as he is. Okay, now I'm going to make a prediction. When you're doing your show and he eventually signs, you could think about this day on baseball and barbecue. I think 50 million, not even close. I think he signs for at least 60. I think Mm. there's going to be a bidding war. I think he's going to sign for 60, if not between 60 and 65. I know that's, I'm just saying. And you know what? I just have a feeling that his value to a team is huge. Yeah, he, he's big business. There are I, I've heard that before, and I always have the same reaction. It's still like, wait, sticker shock, please. 
look, I, I said this about Bryce Harper a few years ago. Whatever you, and Mike Trout as well. Whatever you pay, whatever you can afford to pay one guy, that's what you pay him. Because, but he is. But you have to be cognizant. He's one guy, and mm-hmm. though he's he's a hitter and a pitcher, if he hurts his hamstring, that's yep. the hitter and the pitcher. If he hurts his core muscle or his oblique, it's the hitter and the pitcher. Now he's shown that if it's just his tendon and his elbow, he can still hit. Now he's shown that, but on the by and large, if he hurts something, you lose both guys. I wouldn't go there. If I'm a general manager, I cannot stake, you know, the whole future of my club for 10 years on one guy, even if it's the best guy in the sport, Mm -hmm. you can't do it. I'm not saying it's wise. I'm just saying that I think based on what we've seen with contracts in the last few years, there will be someone that will give him that kind of money. Look, I, you know, it's funny. I look at sometimes because I don't follow basketball the way I used to, but I'll, I see these like max deals in the NBA and I go, wow, is that what they're paying guys these days? So <laughs> money is, it has gotten insane in other areas, but in baseball, you know, money has gotten like, you know, look, Barry Bonds was making 8 million a year. I was just looking up Fred McGriff was making 5 million a year. He's going to be in the hall of fame. The numbers have changed. Uh, but because of the CBA and the, the luxury balance, the, the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax, it's there that most teams, the runaway spenders, and this is true of the Dodgers, of the Yankees, of the Red Sox, they will run away, spend for a, a few years, but everyone kind of comes back closer to the pack. And I think the Mets even this year, when they became the runaway number one, they're already feeling, hey, did we need to be the runaway number one? Do we need to be paying this type of luxury tax? Steve Cohen has already said, like, that can't continue if we're not winning. So that it wears off awfully quickly. And you're thinking 60 million a year. Are you thinking 10 years or eight years or seven? No, or I'm not. 10, 10 is what is he third? How old? 30. It's 29, 30 around there. I think that's one of those contracts where you you're paying for performance <laughs> way up front. I think you're you'll regret that towards the end. Almost all of these that yeah. they regret them, you exactly. know, almost, <laughs> almost, almost all. Look, I, I did the study for my book years ago. Let me get his. I, we've all got to know his exit. He's in his age 28 season. So you're signing okay. him for age 29 on. Right. Half of these free agent contracts are deals that teams regret half. That means mm-hmm. half are good. But why are you buying full retail in the free agent market? You're paying for certainty because there's an actual track record. You know, it's not like the draft. We just had the you know, the major league baseball draft. Right. And that's such a crapshoot, even in this day and age with, you know, college baseball being so much better and more sophisticated than it used to be. It's, it's still the shooting percentage in the first and second round is low. So on the free agent market, you're paying for certainty. You've got six years of track record. You know what you're getting. And yet think about it. Half of them teams regret. We're getting if you're getting into that absurdly high area where maybe a third of your payroll is for one guy, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't lead to winning baseball as a team. Might put families in seats and give you a charge for a couple of years, but most of those deals you regret. Yeah, you mentioned the Hall of Fame, and you're the master of ceremonies of the Hall of Fame. How much fun is it to do that gig every year? Uh, it's a it's a real thrill. I love it. I'm I'm just you know I'm thinking about it a lot this week. It's a thrill to see the players, to see the all-time greats. I think back, look, I've been going up there since the 1980s. And even to think of the years when I was there for ESPN and then MLB Network and then becoming the MC on the stage, just through the years to be able to 
you know, sit and chat with Brooks Robinson, Stan Musial, Hank Aaron, you know, I pinched myself. And now with the younger guys, it's still a thrill. Now I see, you know, Wade Boggs and Randy Johnson and the guys I know. And, you know, George Brett, I saw him in Kansas City a few weeks ago. And he's like, you know, putting his arm around me and stuff. It's like, it's a thrill, you know. And these guys are, they're, they're, they're special guys. I mean, these, these, this is the creme de la creme. And it's such a blast. I'm looking, just even thinking now, I can already see Cal Rimkin's face. You know, I, lo- I love <laughs> seeing these guys up there. And, you know, through the years, like, I'm sitting down having lunch. Al Kaline sat down and started chatting with me. And as he's speaking, I don't even know what he's saying. Because I'm thinking, Al Kaline just sat down and started speaking <laughs> to me. Like, what, what am I even supposed to say? You know, so, it, yeah, it's such a thrill. It's baseball royalty. And they... they they love going up there. They love, they're like kids again. And they're in awe of seeing the players around them, even the best players of all time. So it's, it's so exciting to see them all there in one place. And Cooperstown is, as you know, such a fantastic village, such a delight to go to any time of the year. Uh, but for induction weekend, it's, it's such a thrill. It's actually the easiest part of my week is like getting on stage. Even if there's 50,000 people and doing the introductions, that to me is you know, that's like, I love that so much. I don't even think about it. I just accept to think, man, that's going to be exhilarating because it's just so much fun. And, you know, but leading up to it, I do think, geez, I hope this goes well. Once I get there, everything's fine. And, you know, I just lock in because I do, as I said, I, I love the history of the game. So to give a quick bio on why fans should care, that's, that's, I'm honored to do it. And I'm thrilled to do it. You know, Scott yeah. Rowland is going in this year and long overdue in my estimation is Fred McGriff. I'm so happy that he got to go in. Yeah, I I did a thing today on Fred McGriff. I, I've I've done an essay before, but you know this. I know this is kind of a deep thought, but we definitely don't remember things in an accurate fashion as to what we were thinking at the time. And again, I have to say this to like again for you guys that if you're old enough, right, and you lived through that era, you know. And I had to explain this to people who are younger. Fred McGriff was not some also ran. Fred McGriff was the man like Fred McGriff trade deadline. He was the big name free agency. He was the big name and actually ran statistics until he was uh, like his first 14 years in the league and Barry Bonds first 14 years in the league. He was about every bit the hitter production wise as Barry Bonds. And yet Bonds became so had such notoriety and then had his incredible years that he was, you know, on PEDs from 34 to 38 or 37 that it, it's like in our memories, we started thinking of Bonds and Clemens and the great players and A-Rod and Sammy Sosa, the great home run hitters. And suddenly Fred McGriff looked anemic with 493 home runs. Guys passed him like, they were, like he was going out of style. And he did go out of style for a while. And that's a shame because McGriff was a playoff monster. Barry Bonds had trouble in the playoffs before he was jacked up, if you recall. Mm-hmm. You know, so did Roger Clemens. So did a lot of guys. Not Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff was a a monster in the playoffs. He was a monster down the stretch when he got traded for from Atlanta. So I'm trying to like reverse that revisionist thinking of that, hey, the steroid guys aren't in, and can it be a real Hall of Fame without the all-time great players? Wait a second. For t- you, you want to tell me in the real world, for 10 years, from 1988 to 1997, do I want Fred McGriff or Barry Bonds? I want Fred McGriff. I'll take Fred McGriff all day. Brian, you know what's so refreshing? is that you genuinely love the game and the way you talk about the fact that when you're with these guys, you kind of, you, you become a kid again. You, mm-hmm. you, you, 
it's kind of like with us, you know, we're when we interview certain people, look, I mean, the, the fact we're interviewing you is is exciting for us. You know, you are top of the you're top of the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's nice. you know, I'm not I'm not alkaline, though, but I appreciate it. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, it's so it's it's just it's really nice to you appreciate the game like us. You're a fan. And that's just yeah. it, it's a great thing. And yeah, that's nice. That's that's special. And, and you're doing something you love. That's why I, I, I think that you would if you were sitting down with a satchel page or josh gibson or a babe ruth well of course you you know you, you might be like humana humana you might be like, mr mr bruce <laughs> <laughs> well you know like these these guys are thank you by the way that's nice of you to say um uh these guys are human beings you know once you get to know them you realize right. they're human beings but the guys who were at the top and did it year after year for such a long time you realize that if if there wasn't a Hall of Fame, a lot of this would be lost to history. And mm. you think, oh, no, we'd always remember and know that. Now that I'm getting older, I realize, no, 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 you don't have to remember anything. You can forget the past. It can be forgotten. One of the reasons that the, the Hall of Fame was put into existence was there was a group of people, most of them up there in Cooperstown, Stephen Clark being one of them, that thought we should do something to remember these old players from the old by, you know, bygone days before we forget them. And if you didn't have things like the baseball encyclopedia and now baseball reference and the baseball history, you know, uh, books that are written all the time on the years that have gone by and you didn't have a Hall of Fame that kept it vibrant and alive in our memories every year, lots of things could be forgotten. You know, lots of things can just go by the wayside. And even what I'm saying, like, hey, wait a second, I, I lived through that era. What we think now is not the way we were thinking then. Like I'm and my my one thing this week is like Fred McGriff and Barry Bonds. Like, oh, Bonds is this monster of baseball and must be rewarded. And you can be on any side of that argument you want. You can be performance only. You can say uh, his as Bob Costas calls it, his numbers were inauthentic in his 30s, whatever side you want to be on. But while they were playing, Fred McGriff was 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 every bit the hitter that that Bonds was. Bonds was a great all around player, there's no question. But like you have to go back, and that's what uh, I'm always battling for all sides of Hall of Fame debate and argument is that perception is a tricky thing, and sometimes it's not accurate, and we have a tendency to forget guys you know who were great, and we have a tendency to forget everything about that we once held dear. So the Hall of Fame keeps this alive. And, you know, even now, um, you know, I remember I'm on stage with Cal Ripken and we took a TV break and we're, we're sitting there and the crowd is out there. Remember, there were 80,000 people there, 2007 for Cal Ripken and Tony Gwynn and Ripken, who was, you know, still about the biggest star in the country at that point, 2007, looked out to a field. We looked out and we're all in the commercial break, a bunch of kids playing wiffle ball. And he said, see those kids out there? He goes, they've never even seen me play. And I thought, no, that can't. And I realized, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. They're 10 years old. You retired five years. They don't know who you are. They never saw you play. Like, things turn over fast. <laughs> even Cal Ripken saw it. And uh, that's, you know, his first year on the ballot, first year he sails in. And already he says, you know what? You know, you're here today, gone tomorrow. And so I, I think the Hall of Fame still has that vital purpose of reminding us of what we really held dear, what we treasured, you know, back when we were younger. What a great place to go. Brian, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. We're going to catch you on MLB Now, on the MLB Network. 
check out the uh, Hall of Fame ceremonies. It was, it was just a terrific time. Thank you very much for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Guys, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Hope to see you Thank again. You Thank right. you, guys. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast. And if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. So check it out. Baseball and BBQ with Len and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away. And we want to thank Brian for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. I'm sure he's enjoying the baseball playoff, Leonard. Absolutely. Brian, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking to you. You know, Jeff, with the postseason underway and the weather is still fine outside, that means baseball and barbecue. It's perfect. Perfect. But you got to have the right tools. You got to have the right accessories. So you go to baseballbbq.com and you get yourself grilling tools and accessories shaped like baseball bats. I, they they made with baseball bat handles. I mean, th- that is perfect. Baseball and barbecue. Go to baseballbbq.com. And I want to let everybody know if they want to contact the show, they can email us at baseballandbbq at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page. Just leave us a comment. We have a Twitter or X at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. We have a website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And you can call us, leave a message, 516-855-8214. Leonard, what's next? Well, I think, Jeff, you have a a little something for the audience. It's time for the quote of the week. If summer had one defining scent, it'd definitely be the smell of barbecue. That is Katie Lee, who is the ex-wife of Billy Joel. So she should know. <laughs> I don't know what barbecue <laughs> smells like, but I do love the the smell. I think at one time they were actually making like a cologne or something, barbecue scented or smoke. No, I think it was campfire scented. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. But there was something that smells barbecue, smoke, whatever. Jeff. Speaking of barbecue, Speaking of smoking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I threw that one up for you. You didn't. You didn't swing, so I just ran over, and it was in the air so long. I ran over and I hit it. <laughs> yes. We have Levi Strayer from Bear Mountain Barbecue. Once you listen to this, you are never going to want to use any other wood products in your barbecue again, other than Bear Mountain Barbecue. So. Enjoy. Barbecue is a unique cooking method. It's in the fact that the fuel source that you use becomes an ingredient in the final product. When you cook, you want to use the best ingredients you can. And that means when you use a fuel source that's going to become part of your food, you want to use the best products that you can. We're lucky to have with us someone from a company that prides itself on having some of the best products for barbecue. His name is Levi Strayer. He's from Bear Mountain Barbecue Woods. 
we are happy to welcome him to baseball and barbecue. Levi, welcome. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. And that's like the intro there is like music to my ears when you're talking about part, the wood being part of the recipe. It's something we've been preaching for a long time. It it really makes a difference, but appreciate the intro. Thank, oh. Well, you are welcome and, and thank you for joining us. And it's really true. Everybody should go to Bear, B-E-A-R, Mountain, bbq.com and you will see what i'm talking about there is a picture of a bear waving hello and you've got pellets wood chunks chips and a product that we're really going to want to discuss smokums when you cook barbecue this is your primary fuel source and it becomes part of the part of the food so so levi let's start right out and just tell us how the company began Oh, the company began a long time ago. So the the pellet industry and the pellet grill market really started to come to fruition in the late 80s uh, when the original pellet grills were starting to be made. And some of our original founders of uh, Lignetics, which is the parent company of Bear Mountain Barbecue, they were part of that process. So when they were making the pellet grills, they came to our founders and said, hey, you know, how do we make something that a wood product that we can put through an auger and into a grill and actually create heat and smoke and flavor and barbecue with it? And that's kind of where it all founded. But it's, you know, when you start to get history that's you know, five years old or 10 years old, the, the story is fresh in your mind. Now we're starting to get 30 plus years old. And you know, every little group that you hear along the way, the story gets a little bit different. And so it's kind of fun to see how it evolved. But the, you know, there's so much energy and enthusiasm behind the barbecue market. And that's why it's fun to be in it. Well, let's focus on pellet pellets for a second. Because what you have is you've got some companies that make the pellets, the pellet smokers, obviously. And some of them make their own pellets. And one of the things that they'll say is, oh, you want to use our pellets with our product. How do you get past that? Being the original pellet for any pellet grill, we've always said that the quality comes in the wood. And that's where your flavor comes from and the right. characteristics and all of that. And whether you're using you know, the same brand pellet that you use for a grill doesn't really matter. Exactly. You know, we're there to to make a quality wood product. So you get the flavor no matter what grill you're using. And there's there's a fine tune and a way to create a pellet so it moves through an auger system uh, the best. And we, we zero in on that, but it's really about the quality of the wood is what makes a difference. You have uh, over a dozen different wood pellet flavors on your website and a lot of them we, we've heard of you know cherry oak maple pecan apple and the rest but there's one that i have never heard of so i want to ask you about it it's the alder barbecue pellet uh, what, right. what, what what kind of tree does alder come from so alder is a species of tree it's primarily grown in the northwest and if you visit the northwest alder has historically been the the premium smoking wood and that comes from the Native uh, American tribes that have always smoked fish in the Northwest and Alaska. The alder tree lives in kind of your wetter areas. So they'll 
log off a, a track of land and it's all the dug fur that's being taken off um, that you traditionally see in the Northwest, but the alder trees sit in kind of the riparian zones. And, but that's always what the natives used uh, to smoke their fish on. And so it's, it's a really clean, nice, light smoke, which makes it great for, for fish and seafood. And, and can I make a confession? Nobody's listening to this. I'm going to confess. I'm scared about something. Okay. Jeff, Levi, Jeff, I don't think I've ever confessed this to you before, but I'm kind of scared of using mesquite. Now you have mesquite on there and, you know, you hear some people love using mesquite. It's a strong wood. Talk me through my fear, Levi, please. I'm right there with you. Mesquite is at the bottom of my favorite flavors by far, but those who love it generally are in areas where it grows in mass abundance. And and that area is down south. And just like the alder in the northwest, you know, people love it because they could go out and cut a tree down and use it to smoke wood. And it, they found it had a great flavor. Well, in Texas and those areas down south, you know, they're just chopping away at mesquite wood that keeps growing and growing back. And that's what they use for barbecue. But thankfully they they're transitioning over more hickory and you know post oak is a great flavor down there but there's always going to be those mesquite lovers god bless them well <laughs> i mean not me. <laughs> there are some pellets that are not they're not as good as others and we were we were lucky enough to have some samples of your pellets and i was able to try them and your pellets actually do give more flavor than other pellets I've used. I, I'm assuming it's the way you guys make them. Some pellets I've heard like dissolve easily, like, you know, they just, they're a lot of nothing. But you, the method that you guys use must be a special method. Yeah, there's a lot of little characteristics that we pay attention to uh, when we manufacture a pellet. And we have a full uh, R&D lab in terms of developing and fine-tuning those types of things. But little things like, you know, how low is your moisture content on a pellet? Because if you want to bring your barbecue up to temperature, you have to burn off that water first before you start producing BTUs to bring your grill up to temperature. And the normal home residential user, you know, it's small things that make a difference, but when you start doing like commercial, you know, say you're using those pellets for a restaurant, they come in and they got to start the grill at the same time every day. All of a sudden that guy put a different pellet in, the guy's sticking this food on a half hour too early because the grill's not up to temperature. So little things like that, as well as how much dust goes into a bag, you know, we make sure that we screen everything out so it's clean. So you're not having flare ups in your fire pot and things like that. Things that consumers, you know, unless they're extremely gung-ho, probably don't ever want to talk about when it comes to what a pellet means. But those are the kind of things we geek out on because it makes a difference in the end. <laughs> you know, Len started out asking uh, what he's going to talk about smokums, but he never got there. So I'm going to get there. And your smokums, what what are smokums and can they be used on any any grill, not exclusively pellet grill? Yeah, smokums we designed kind of for your introductory market into the the pellet space. So those that have pellet grills, you know, they're buying 20, 40 pound bags of of pellets. And 
but for, for others who aren't really smoking with pellets yet um, or any woods for that sake, the smokums make a great way to introduce them to it. So it's a single use packet has pellets inside. You just tear it open and you can drop it right onto your gas grill or charcoal grill. And the heat from the grill heats up the packet. So it starts to smoke and then you can close your lid and hold the smoke in and whatever you're cooking. You, now you get the smoke flavor to it. It's kind of goes back to the original comment. You know, what's your ingredients going into your food? A little salt, pepper and some hickory smoke. So you can just use them on single use tracks like that, which makes it nice and convenient for a lot of people who just have gas grills still. With the pellet grills. So one of the complaints that you have is that there's not enough smoked flavor with the pellet grills. And and they'll say, you know, oh, so make a little, um, you know, they sell these things and you could put some pellets or whatever in them and you can use them for extra, like a smoke bar or something. You could use yeah. the smokums for that too, couldn't you? Yes, you could. In fact, I would say half of the smokums actually get used on pellet grills because people want more smoke. Right. But when you use a pellet grill, your your pellets are being used for the heat and the smoke. So you kind of have that fluctuating, you know, cycle of, you know, you're burning your pellets in order to get your temperature at the right level. And then it stops and then you lose your smoke and then it comes back, kind of cycles through. But the uh, the smokums are a nice way to keep that smoke more consistent. And what's yeah, nice about your website is if you don't know what type of smokums to use or pellets or whatever, you have a filter where you can choose the type of meat you're using, poultry, seafood, lamb, veggies, beef, and just click that and it'll it'll tell you what to use, which is a great feature. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the no brainer way to go to just, you know, let us do the research and click on what you're cooking and figure out what to use. And yeah. if you're ever stuck on everything, some of our blends are are so universal nowadays, kind of what we curate between different woods and kind of pack those together. So it's a great way to load it in and just keep that in your hopper nonstop. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, that's one of the things you get asked all the time. Oh, what wood should I use with this mead? Or there is definitely that question comes up all the time. I'm sure you hear that all the time. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> And everybody has a little bit different answer. So, and there's not a right answer. And and probably the best way to do it is experiment. You know, try one thing. If you didn't like that personally, try another because they're all going to be good. Some are just going to be extremely excellent. You know, uh, on your page, uh, on your website, you have a recipe page and it has the usual recipes. But there's one that is unusual, which I've never seen before, which makes it quite unique. You have a recipe for drinks so you have the old-fashioned smoked old old-fashioned smoked ice old-fashioned and i guess you put it on the barbecue some somehow so uh, i gotta read how to do this and and make this drink yeah you can cold smoke uh just like water in in ice cube trays and then freeze them up and this you'll the smoke flavor will adhere into the water and then when you you know you get the uh the big ice ball for your old fashioned and drop that in there. And that's one way to do it. Interesting. Uh, so Levi, tell us about, let's go to the chunks now. And on the website, you have hickory, cherry, apple, and my favorite mesquite. <laughs> but <laughs> tell us about the process of a lot of times you go to the, 
to the store, right? You go to your big box stores. And I've bought some of those. I I confess again, I, I'm going to tell you, I have bought in a pinch, you know, not knowing any better. I've grabbed a bag off of the shelf and on there, there's bark on there. There's, I mean, different, there's pieces of wood. You know, I take out a couple of chunks and I end up throwing out half the bag because some of it's not usable. What's the process all, that you guys use to to make your uh, to make your wood, and what makes it so much better than you know the the regular box store? Yeah, and we won't hold you to those bad decisions that you made back then. <laughs> Thank you. I was just a I was just a child. I, I didn't know any better. <laughs> no, now you'll know. So no, we, we through all of our processes because we do all different phases of barbecue woods, we can use residuals from one process to make it a more suitable um, piece and valuable piece of wood in, in another product. So starting with the chunks, you know, we precision cut all of our chunks so that they're uh, very consistent. And that's what you'll find between ours and the others, like you were talking about. There's no scraps in the bag. There's no shards. There's no, None of that stuff that's going to flare up um, as it's burning. So if you drop these chunks, uh, even use them as your own source of heat or drop them onto the tops of charcoal, they're going to burn consistent and give you a nice steady heat. And holding your temperature in barbecue is number one. I mean, barbecue was always about time and temperature and how many beers it takes to get to the end of the game. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The beers are important. <laughs> it's a key ingredient, almost as as much as wood. <laughs> and and you know the other thing is, when you have a company, and and I don't want to sound like a shill for your company, but that's what you guys do. It, you're not making grills; you're making wood for people to use in their barbecues, and that's it. So if you're not the best at that. Then, then what's the point? That's you specifically do. That's what you do. That's all we do. We we yeah. only do wood and we we are the best at it. Yeah. That's what we live. It sounds very boring when you say, that, you know, that's all we do is wood. But when you consider what we're using the wood to do, that's what makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. So if a, if a novice, someone, a barbecue, a novice is coming to you and say, when should I use chunks and when should I use chips? What would you tell them? Yeah, chips. Uh, I'll start with chips. Your kind of low temp smokers are a great source if you're using like a, a lower temp electric smoker where you need to get something smoking uh, at a lower temperature. The chips are a great source for that uh, and they can provide your sole smoke source uh, in those types of appliances. Also great for the uh, classic foil pack like Leonard was talking about, um, <laughs> or any type of smoke box. But also when you're charcoal grilling or or even using lump charcoal or briquettes, any of those types of things, you can always sprinkle the chips around the outside or on top so you get a little bit more smoke flavor uh, that you're not getting out of using the charcoal. When it comes to the chunks, because the chunks are a lot beefier, you actually get a good BTU value coming out of those. So you can either use those in like an offset smoker, uh, even expand the chunk to like a mini log, which we have coming out as well. Um, 
So you can use those in offset smokers, or you can use them in a in a standard uh, basic charcoal grill. Um, but a good way to do it is to use your charcoal as a base for your heat, and then put your chunks on top. So now you're getting um, a little bit more heat consistent, but you're getting that great smoke flavor that comes with the chunks. Levi, before we did the interview, um, Kelly from your company said, you know, let us know some of what you guys are going to discuss. And I wrote some questions down and um, you could see we stick to some of it. We deviate a little, but that's not the point. That's not the point, Levi. <laughs> the point being, I said, you know, I wanted to know, I, I watch you watch all these cooking shows and there's very good product placement in these shows. And I was going to ask about, you know, have you guys been approached about your products and having them in there? Kelly's response was that's expensive to have done. So if you're not doing that, what's the way that you're getting to the customers? Are you in, are you in stores? Is it just online? No, we we're in uh, most uh, retail stores is where our product gets out into the market. Um, and we're in some bigger ones, uh, like your tractor supply all the way across the country and Lowe's mm-hmm. and uh, coming to Walmart soon uh, as well. So oh, really? Okay. Yeah, these, uh, but you can also buy them online. So really any of those typical retail avenues that you see in today's world, it's all available out there. And if you go to the website and just click find a store, It'll come right up. And right I, I, I did that, and there's a couple right right by us, Len. But I also put in other other places, like uh, where I go to uh, visit a lot, Scottsdale, Arizona. You have places there. You're selling it. You're selling it in Kansas, where we were just a couple of weeks ago. You're, you're all over the place. All you got to do is put in your zip code, and boom, it'll show you where you can buy Bear Mountain BBQ Woods. Yep. Yeah, even down south, Academy Sports, the, you know, they've got, got great product all across the south down there. You know, Levi Jeff is a lot more uh, tech savvy than me. Yeah, I wasn't aware that I could do that. So, you know, that's that's why we keep him around. He knows he knows his way around a website. Let me tell you, uh, um, we got we got to design things easy enough that Jeff can figure them out too. Exactly, more like exactly. me. More like me <laughs> figure it out. But so so Levi, why has barbecue? It definitely has grown. I mean, you look at all the podcasts that are barbecue related that that just every day there seems to be a new one. There's all these shows on whether it's on Netflix, you know, on uh, the cooking channel. You know, you've got uh, uh, the the one now that we're watching is um, uh, Michael Simon, right? Barbecue USA. And uh, why is barbecue all of a sudden? I wouldn't say all of a sudden the rage, but it but it's definitely keeps growing and what what is it about barbecue that keeps you know that's becoming so popular well it's becoming easier and easier you know you used to think 20 30 years ago what did barbecue mean it meant uh, a big pit where you had to chop your wood and and spend all day getting the fire going and real traditional pit masters as where it came from but now you get into the pellet grill world and it's making that the ability to produce that type of barbecue. You know, you turn the grill on before you leave work, you come home, you throw your meat on and and by morning you have a 13 hour cooked brisket. And all you did was come home, drink a couple beers, go in and watch the game, 
come out in the morning, hell, I got great barbecue. You know, it's it's just becoming easier and more convenient so everybody can do it at home. And that's that's the phenomenon of the pellet grill, really, and why it's growing at such a rapid pace. You know, if you can get that type of results on a pellet grill, you know, why buy your gas grill again? You know, the convenience is there. Just pellet grill it up and your neighbors will thank you. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and it's becoming even easier now with technology. Just set it and you can actually control the temperature on your phone. So it's it's become very easy now. Yeah. Every day it's easier and easier. I I starting to wonder, am I really cooking or am I just you know, I have a restaurant in my house. I can't figure it out sometimes. <laughs> well, take, Jeff, take one of yours. Take the credit and, and cook. <laughs> what, one of your favorite chefs is uh, is chicken on the Traeger, right? On on yes. the belly grill. Yes, you love I'm that. Talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it it you can taste the difference. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I'm a big hunter and fisherman, and I brought home a couple of steelhead this past weekend, and uh, decided to use our bourbon for smoking steelhead. And man, that was phenomenal. Really. Where where are you? Uh, so where are you out of Levi? I'm located in uh, Hood River, Oregon. So uh, out, out, that's why I know about the Alder. Right. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to yeah. say uh, your, your website says uh, that it's out of Boulder in Louisville, Colorado. I guess that's the headquarters. Yeah, our corporate office is out of um, that area, just outside of Boulder in Colorado. But we got 25 plants across the country now. Wow. Um, so a lot of production happened all over. Uh, coast to coast and talk to us what is this uh bbq bucks program what is that yeah it's kind of like your rewards program you know the more you shop the more you buy the more you can save and you know give back to our loyal customers that's really you talked earlier about uh with kelly you know how do you get product placement in a lot of these shows and and it's big bucks you know you gotta spend it but really our our form of advertising has always been the original guys who started using the product and realized the quality and they're telling their friends and they're telling their friends. And, you know, that's really our form of advertising. Just let the product speak for itself and, and it keeps coming back. And those loyal customers are, are what do it for us. So our, our bucks program is there to reward those guys. And you've been, doing it, you've been doing it for over 30 years now. So it says on your website, it started in 1990s. So uh, it's now 2023. So doing very well. Yes, we. It's uh, been a long time, a lot of experience, and it just keeps growing and growing. Levi, do you soak wood chips? No. Okay. I would always recommend not soaking any wood chips. The only reason you would do that is because you're what you're burning the chips on is at a extremely high temperature, and they would just flare up otherwise. But generally to get good smoke, you want no moisture in your chips because you're burning off that moisture to release the steam before you get a true smoke. So the lower the moisture, less water. So don't smoke. I wouldn't recommend soaking your chips. So if I do make a smoker packet, just put the chips in without soaking. Yeah. And keep your temperatures low and slow and you'll have good barbecue. Now, that's good advice, because I think, you know, on our show, especially, I don't know that we have as many competitive, uh, I mean, 
maybe they do listen, but you know, we don't talk a lot about the competitions, you know, the results and all that. We've got a lot of backyard barbecue people that are, are listening to us. And that's, you know, those are some of the things they want to know. So things we think are just basic are not. And, uh, and we we love being a source for information like that. Now that so certainly the chunks we're not soaking because this soaking the chunks wouldn't do anything anyway. The the right there's there's no reason to. Yeah, that'd be like firing up your pellet grill and then hosing down the fire and think you're gonna get a good result out of it. <laughs> yeah. So your, the- your your pellets are all uh, and not even pellets, your chips and your, your chunks. All natural. There's no fillers, no bark, no fillers, no no binders. Everything's all natural. So that's a yep. great selling point. Yeah, we we live by that. And there's a lot of trying to be innovative in the market where they'll throw seasonings and and that sort of thing in there. But when you're actually manufacturing a pellet, the seasonings are going to burn off. You know, at over a thousand degrees when you're drying that material. Um, so you're really burning off any flavor that you get of putting like a, an onion or something like that flavoring into the pellet. So we stick to hundred percent true woods. That's where the flavor comes from. Uh, we always say we once sprinkle our seasoning on our wood and, uh, or we once sprinkle our wood on our food and we wouldn't put our seasoning in our pellet. Mm. So hundred percent true wood. That's where we live by. And before I ask you this, I'm going to, well, there's two things. One, have you ever tried, um, has the company ever come out with any kind of charcoal products? Are they hard? We have, yeah, we have not ventured into any of the charcoal space. It's uh, the charcoal world is a dirty process, in my opinion. Um, I like the, the cleanness of our chunks and pellets and that side of things, but not to say it's not in our future, but um, right now I like where we're at. I like the products we got, and it's enjoyable what we're doing. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. What is in the future? Because before you mentioned something that you're getting into maybe uh, a little more logs or something, you you were alluding to that. What are some of the things that you guys might be uh, branching out into? Yeah, we're expanding our the lineup this year with the longer log. So it's an eight inch log product. Um, right now our chunks are about a three inch by three inch by two inch, roughly kind of that, uh, wood block size. The logs will actually go longer to an eight inch. So those guys using the offset smokers and things like that, you can use the logs as your sole heat source. And now you have great smoke and it's kind of those classic, uh, original pit masters, uh, that we're going for there. But that'll expand the line uh, in addition to the chunks and the chips and the smokums and all the pellets we do. We also, you know, have gotten into the bourbon space on the pellet side of things and have some different flavors coming out uh, Mm. this year uh, at Walmart with uh, a smoky apple whiskey and a maple Mm. bourbon pecan. Uh, So some really tantalizing flavors that are are to die for. So um, you have to try them when they come out. Yeah, sounds absolutely. Like, sounds like you could put them in a drink. I mean, drink them up. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing I was going to say before when I was talking about, and I didn't mention names of products, so I'm fine there. But the other thing is your wood chunks seem to be more uniform in size. And 
I know when when I'm going to smoke, uh, you know, I need a couple of chunks, but I'm taking out one that's huge and then one that's little. And, you know, there's no uniformity. Some of the bags, not yours. I'm saying that other products, there's no uniformity of the sizes. And you guys seem to have that where your chunks are kind of, you know, the same, which is great. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to how we manufacture that. Cause then we, once we cut those chunks, we screen out all the scraps and we use it for a different process. You know, if you looked at our total scale of what we do, only the best 6% of all of our wood that comes through is used in our barbecue woods. So we're really taking the premium of the premium and that's what we're using for our products. Uh, and the chunks are a great great example of that because they're they're so uniform they burn consistent and they just don't have the scraps and all that because we can repurpose that for something else you know i got one else for you levi as far as now the wood how do you do it so that you always have uh you know a source of the wood that do you guys are you planting your own trees or are you how's that work yeah we're not loggers and we're not cutting trees specifically for our products we really upcycle in total from our overall company over four billion pounds of of wood waste every year so the amount of what we do is tremendous but it's really coming from uh, waste residuals from other markets so lumber markets other logging industries whether they're making furniture or that type of stuff so all the the scraps and dust that come from that, uh, we can repurpose and turn into a pellet. Um, That's excellent. Really, really um, tells a good story of what we're doing in the wood industry too, because yeah. you know the scraps if they get burned in the forest, now you're releasing carbon monoxide and pollutants in from burning the product, and nobody enjoys that. I mean, look at everything that was going on this year with the Canadian fires and the smoke in the Northeast and. You know, if we can avoid that type of stuff and repurpose the product for something as good as delicious barbecue, I mean, why not? And speaking about delicious, I want everybody to go to BearMountainBBQ.com and go to their recipe page because this is really a lot of different and unique recipes. And I'm I don't know if you're responsible for this, Levi, but whoever is, kudos to them because this is a some really great stuff you have on here. Yeah, we have a great network of people all across the country that use and live and and die by our products. And they, uh, in turn, share a lot of great recipes that they're doing out there. And um, to all those guys that are supporting us, uh, a big thank you for my side of things. Um, and keep grilling and barbecuing. And don't forget to send samples when, when you're done. <laughs> Levi, we thank you very much for coming on Baseball and Barbecue. Is there anything, uh, you know, social media or anything you want to promote? We know about the website. Is the, Are there any other things that you guys on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, which is now X or TikTok? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I can keep up either, but we're on all the major channels, um, the Instagram and Facebook and all those guys. You know, you can find us on all that stuff. And we're out there uh, just growing away. And so come hang with us and and enjoy the uh, the premium woods and the great flavor.
Yeah. And one one last question for me, since you're being in the uh, Pacific Northwest, how about those Mariners? Hey, you know, their time is coming. I'll just put it that way. They're going to okay. get there. Okay. They're going to get <laughs> World Series is in the future. How how far in the future? No one knows, but they're uh, playing great now. That's right. They that's are playing right. great. And and who knows? They might get Shohei Otani next year. They there's there is talk that he could that could be one of his destinations. I don't know, but yeah, the Mariners are playing incredible baseball. So yep, there's hope. There's hope in the rainy city. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Levi, for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I'll get back to uh, beer number ten on my brisket. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Levi. Thank you, Levi. Was I wrong? Jeff, was I wrong after listening to that? Do you want? No, you're right. Right. That's it. That's it. Really great. What they that's all they do. They specialize. And when you have a company that's making its living from one specific thing, they better be good at it or they're not going to be in business very long. They're a terrific company. And we thank them for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Jeff. This is episode 206. We are presented by Bet Online. It is where the game starts. But Jeff, we've had two great guests. We're not starting. We're ending. We gave a lot of show, didn't we? And we're going to have another episode next week with a lot of show. Really? <laughs> we're going to do this? <laughs> we're going to have a 207? Yeah, I think so. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Brian Kenny. Thank you, Levi Strayer. Jeff, thank you. Thanks to all our guests. We couldn't do it without you. Well, what am I saying? We just need you to listen. You're not doing the show. <laughs> we appreciate pa everyone. Pa pass the word. Pass the word. Please, everybody, spread it, spread us around. <laughs> Enjoy the baseball playoffs. Absolutely. Yes. So, Leonard, how do we end? With the poet Shel Krakowski, the musician. Dave Dresser, and Jeff, the song is Baseball Always Brings You Home. We'll see you next week.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.